Good morning. God is still good. Amen? That's right. All the time. God is good. And God is good all the time. Today we're going to continue on with a series I began last month called the Gospel and Culture Series. I said every single Christian who has ever lived has lived in a specific time, in a specific place, and with a specific surrounding culture. So no matter when we live, no matter where we live, and no matter what culture we live in, I think we need to always be asking ourselves the question, what does it look like to be faithful to Christ in our context? What does it look like to be faithful to Christ in the context in which we find ourselves? Now right away, I wanted to say that if you hadn't listened to the sermon from last month, the introduction to the Gospel and Culture series, I wanted to say, go to our podcast, go to our website, listen to that sermon because you're going to need it uh, as we go forward today. Each month in the Gospel and Culture series, we're going to focus on a specific cultural issue. And as you're well aware, there are lots of them. Uh, What I hope this series will do is to help us better answer the question of what does it mean? to be faithful to Jesus in this particular time and place and culture that we find ourselves. Now, in the introduction to gospel and culture that I gave last month, I began by first defining terms. I think that's probably always where we need to begin when we have a discussion. It's been five weeks since then, and so I think it's probably beneficial for us to do a bit of a recap, and so I want to do that this morning. I encourage you, if you have a bulletin, there is a sermon handout in there. It'd be helpful for you as you follow along today. So the first term that we need to define is what do we mean when we say the gospel? What are we talking about? There are all sorts of propositions about what that means. Well, here's what I think the scripture teaches us. The gospel is the good news about all that God has done and is doing in Jesus Christ for the sake of the whole world and for his glory. The gospel is the good news about all that God has done and is doing in Jesus Christ for the sake of the whole world and for his glory. And the implications of that gospel, they're not just as far and wide as those who believe in Christ. No, they're as far and wide as all of creation. And the reality of the gospel, whether we believe it or not, it changes everything about the reality that we experience. The second thing we need to define is what do we mean by culture? It's a tricky word. What do we mean? Well, culture is essentially this, the entire social life of humanity the entire social life of humanity. God has made us human beings with the capacity to cultivate language and customs and ideas and values, technology, music, the arts, business, sports, and so on and so forth. And the message of the Bible, especially in Genesis 1 and 2, is that culture-making is a good thing. Culture-making is a good thing at its core, and yet... As we know, because of the sinfulness of humanity, culture very often does not look the way God designed it to look, which is why we're having this gospel and culture series at all. Now, last month, I explained four historically Christian ways of looking at the relationship between the gospel and culture. And I said that I think the fourth view, which was gospel-transforming culture, is the best view for us because it expresses both the message and the method of the gospel. The gospel is about transformation, and it takes place through transformation. So if we were to put all of these definitions together, this is what we'd have. 
the good news about all that God has done and is doing in Jesus Christ for the sake of the whole world and for His glory, the gospel, transforms the entire social life of humanity or culture. Gospel transforming culture. Now, as we move forward in this series, that's the understanding that will characterize much of what we talk about and the way in which we will talk about it in these specific cultural issues. This morning, I'm going to be preaching about the, the topic of worldview. Topic of worldview. In many ways, this is a foundational sermon, like last month's. We're going to need it as we go forward. Uh, the, the topic of worldview gives us the language and it gives us the concepts which we're going to need in order to talk about the more specific uh, cultural issues we'll get to in the future. Uh, to talk about worldview today, I want to just begin by talking about photography. Photography. In college, I had a, a privilege of taking a, a creative photography course. And before then, I really didn't have any experience with cameras, and so pretty much everything I learned was entirely new in that course. And one of the things that became immediately apparent to me was that there are all sorts of different kinds of photographs you can take. And the characteristics of the photo which you take, it depends upon the camera you're using, of course, but what I didn't realize is how much it depended upon the lens which you were using. Maybe it's a standard lens, or maybe it's a telephoto lens, or maybe it's a macro lens, or it's a fisheye lens. There are also all sorts of different filters that you can put on the different kinds of lenses. There are night vision lenses, there are UV filters, there are neutral density filters. And so as I, in this course, walked around the towns and the fields and the forests of rural Ohio, taking photographs for this course, the way in which I captured my surroundings, it depended dramatically upon the lens and the filter that I was using. Worldview is a lot like that. In fact, we could say essentially that worldview is the lens by which a person views the world, and everyone has one. What we believe, how we think about our experiences, how we behave in the here and now, how we relate to others, what purpose we give our life to, what we think is right and wrong, all of those things are conditioned by our worldview. Everybody has one. Your neighbor has one, your mom has one, your Amazon delivery driver has one, the person sitting next to you at work has one, your kid's teacher has one, you have one. Our worldview, it's, it's made up of deeply held convictions and beliefs and even presuppositions, all which form our outlook on reality. And oftentimes, our worldview is so foundational to who we are that we don't even think about it, let alone question it. Like a new photographer might not realize that he's using a particular lens or that he could use a different lens if he wanted to. And he simply just believes to himself, well, I thought that all cameras took photos that way. Not true. Often all we need in order to understand our own worldview is to ask ourselves questions like, where did we come from? What does it mean to be human? What kind of world are we living in right now? What is the problem with the world? What's the solution to the world's problems? Where is this world headed? Every person's worldview provides answers to these kinds of existential questions because every worldview is trying to make sense of the world that we live in. For example, 
consider a passionate college professor. When considering questions like these, she might say, well, what it means to be human is to have a mind and a heart for learning. And the problem with human beings is basically that we're ignorant. We're not learned enough. Therefore, the solution for the world and for humanity is education. And so this individual, although it may not be the only worldview she has, she throws herself into education, and it explains why she does what she does. Now, one of the sticky things about worldview is that there are a wide variety of worldviews on a wide variety of different kinds of things, and they all cannot be true. Now, I'm speaking out of my own worldview in saying this. There is such a thing as objective truth and objective reality. While there are perhaps different ways of looking at truth and looking at reality, there cannot be contradictory realities. Now, I know someone here is saying, what about quantum physics? We're not going to get into quantum physics this morning. Uh, For everyone's sake, but especially for mine. Think about this. If a a photographer were taking a photo of a flower, regardless of the, the lens he was using, the existence of the flower the internal composition of the flower, and the external characteristics of that flower are all real and true. And yet, depending upon the lens which that photographer is using, the flower may look big or small, clear or blurry, pale in color or vibrant in color. So while the lens may change the perspective on the flower, it doesn't change the truth or the reality of the flower itself. In other words, there's no lens that can make that flower disappear or cease to exist, or become an apple. It doesn't work that way. When it comes to worldview, there are some worldviews that can simultaneously be true, or at least have some elements to truth to them. It's just that they have different perspectives on that truth. And yet, there are some worldviews that just can't exist alongside other worldviews. For example, when it comes to the existence of God, some worldviews claim that God exists, while others claim that God does not, Both cannot be true. It doesn't work that way. Every worldview inherently suggests that it is the true view of reality. Is there anyone here who thinks that their way of looking at the world is inherently wrong? No. Because if you did, by golly, you'd go and choose another worldview, one that you thought was true. All worldviews claim to have the truth. And this even includes those worldviews that claim that truth is relative because that claim is a a claim about what is true. So all worldviews argue for truth, but as we've said, all cannot be true. That's important for us to recognize going forward. Now, as Christians, few would dispute the fact that we should be shaped by a biblical or a Christian worldview, right? Anybody want to fight me on that one? It's okay if you did. Basically, what I mean is that our worldview is meant to be grounded in the Word of God. It's meant to be shaped by that thing, God's Word, more than any other thing. Interestingly, in Lent, we talk a lot about Jesus' time in the wilderness, and when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness to, to make bread, Jesus responded to him and said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what Jesus is saying is that God's revelation to humankind, it's critical to our own existence. More than food. More than food. 
And so it must be pretty important for us to know what God's word says, right? In order to know what God's word says, we have to exegete the Bible, which means that we have, we have to seek to interpret it and to understand what it actually says. Now, I'll say that some will say, can't we just read the Bible? Whenever we read it, we have interpreted it in some way. And so what I'm saying is we need to make sure we interpret it in the right ways so we know what the scripture actually says and doesn't say. Only then can we understand what our worldview should be and how God calls us to live that view of the world out. And yet for us as Christians, as I said last month, the scripture is not the only thing that we need to be skilled in exegeting. We need to be skilled at at exegeting our culture, which means that we can look at the world around us and we can interpret it and understand it for what it is. We need to be able to understand how different people in our culture think about the world and why they believe what they believe. Because we need to be able to give a persuasive witness to the gospel. Why does your neighbor think that there's no such thing as truth? Why does your mom think that God created the world but then left? Why does your Amazon delivery driver, it's, why is he a Muslim? Why does your coworker not think that right and wrong exist? Why does your kid's teacher think that the, the greatest purpose of life is to keep evolving? We need to understand these people. So with that in mind, I want to lay out some of the various worldviews that exist in our culture. Now, let's just say that there are lots of them. They're based upon different worldviews and different aspects of reality, from truth to religion to morality to the existence of God to the goal of existence to time to economics to politics, etc., etc. I'm not going to explain all these different worldviews today, thank God. But later on in the Gospel and Culture series, we will come back to some of them and look at them more specifically. But today, I simply want to give you an idea of what's out there. And uh, I haven't on the sermon handout uh, listed these for you, but I will later in the week, perhaps even this afternoon, put online, attached to this sermon, uh, brief definitions of all the things that I'm about to mention. First of all, there are different worldviews of truth. There's absolutism. There's relativism. There's pluralism. There's nihilism. To get more specific, there's modernism, and there's postmodernism. There are different worldviews of God. There's theism, deism, atheism or naturalism, agnosticism, pantheism. There are different worldviews of religion. Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, New Age spirituality, and so on and so forth. There are different worldviews of morality. Utilitarianism, deontological ethics, virtue ethics, moral relativism, and hedonism. And there are different worldviews of the goal of existence. There's utopianism, transhumanism, fatalism, environmentalism, redemptory, and then there's transcendence. Now again, that's a lot of isms. And I don't plan to explain all of them today. You don't need to wrap your head around all of that right now. Instead, my point is just to show you the great diversity of worldviews that exist. In a few moments, I'm going to talk about whether or not we actually need to spend time understanding these worldviews, and you're probably guessing the answer. It's yes, we do. But, but for now, I wanted to say that while there are many different kinds of worldviews, people often maintain different worldviews at the same time, which illustrates how many worldviews are compatible with one another. 
Now, some people hold contradictory worldviews at the same time, and they're just confused. But there are some worldviews that can exist with one another. For example, a secular Darwinist would hold to an atheist or a naturalist view of God, and perhaps a transhuman or a utopian worldview of the goal. On the contrary, uh, to, uh, contradictory to a secular Darwinist, a Christian, as we would guess, would hold to a theist and a Christian worldview of God and a redemptory worldview of the goal, that all things will be redeemed. Well, let's talk a bit more about what that Christian worldview looks like. Each of our small groups is currently studying a book called The True Story of the Whole World. And if you've been involved in a small group, you can probably recognize already that that book has a lot to do with this topic of worldview. The purpose of that book essentially is to help us understand how the Bible is a story, an overarching story from start to finish, which centers upon one character, the person of Jesus Christ. And that biblical story, it's not just one of the stories out there in the world, which you can choose to believe or not. It is, in fact, the true story of human history and of creation. We can argue that, but it is the truth. Understanding this story and how we fit into it is essentially what we mean when we say the biblical worldview or the Christian worldview. Through the story of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, we discover the answers to those questions that we asked ourselves. Where do we come from? Well, God the Creator made all things, and He made it out of His own pleasure and for His glory. What does it mean to be human? Well, human beings were made male and female in God's image to rule and to reign in God's good creation as His ambassadors. What kind of world do we live in? Well, we live in God's good and beautiful creation, and yet we're all well aware that it has tragic problems, problems like pandemics. Well, what's the problem with this world? What's the cause of all the stuff, the suffering, the evil? What's the cause? Well, human beings rebelled against God, and they tried to make themselves into their own gods, and thus God cursed the world. He cursed it with futility and with death, and the sinfulness of humanity, which has been ongoing for thousands of years, continues to wreak havoc on that creation. Is there a solution? If so, what is it? Well, God in His grace and mercy is working to redeem humanity from its sinfulness and the creation from its decay through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the solution. And at this time in history, Christ is calling His church to spread that work of redemption in the world. We find ourselves in the story now. Where's the world headed? Well, one day Christ will return and he's going to recreate all things so that all of creation will be right again. And essentially when we talk about the kingdom of God, what we mean is where God's redemptive work transforms creation into what God intended it to be. That's the kingdom of God. This is our worldview. Now what the, the true story of the whole world does is it summarizes this story in six acts. Creation, fall, redemption initiated, redemption accomplished, the mission of the church, and redemption completed. And that is the future act to come. We find ourselves in Act 5 right now, the mission of the church. This is our story. 
And this way of summarizing the scriptures and the story of the whole world is often called the biblical meta-narrative, which just means the overarching story. And again, the point is that this is not just one story out there. It is the story. It's the story, and our stories fit into it. Now, the biblical worldview, it doesn't just require the biblical story, but the biblical story is the thing upon which a biblical worldview is built, which is why we're talking about it today. Now, I said earlier, when it comes to worldview, that we need to understand it. We need to understand our own worldview. Sounds simple, right? Why? Well, we need to understand it so that we can live it out. So we can live it out. Human beings are really good at thinking things up here and not letting this affect this or these. We need to understand it so that we can live it out. Here's what I mean. The biblical story and the worldview that results from that story, it sets Christians apart from all other people in the world in what we're called to think, in what we're called to feel, and what we're called to do and to be in the world. The more deeply we understand that story and are shaped by a biblical worldview, the more our thought life will become like Christ's, which is the same thing as saying orthodox. The more our heart life or the desires and the feelings that we have will become like Christ's, which is to say orthopathy, as I mentioned last Sunday. And the more our lives, our actions, will look like Christ's, which is to say orthopraxy. Orthodoxy, orthopathy, and orthopraxy. The problem is that sometimes we're not very well versed in this worldview at all. We might hold to certain beliefs about the world without really knowing what the Bible actually teaches and why. We may think ourselves Christians, but really we're cultural Christians or nominal Christians or simply ignorant. I said last week that that we human beings will always choose to point our lives in the direction of something we believe in to be greater than ourselves, and we will follow that thing. So what it means, if if we're not well-versed in the biblical worldview, is that we will end up being undoubtedly influenced by other worldviews. We cannot not have a worldview. And so if it's not the biblical worldview, then what worldview is it? There's a great urgency for us to contemplate and to apply to our lives this biblical worldview. We're Anglicans. We believe that the Bible is God's word and that it's authoritative for our lives, which is to say it's authoritative because the God whose word it is has all authority. If that's true, then the biblical worldview must be the thing that shapes the way we understand and live out our lives, right? And if that's true, then it means that we must at the same time actively reject the other worldviews out there. Again, it's not a both and. It's an either or in this case. And this is where the rubber meets the road, brothers and sisters. The biblical worldview has something to say to us about the sexual ethic that we live by, about the political views that we hold about the way we feel about other nationalities and ethnicities, about the way we value human life, about 
the way we treat the poor and the marginalized, about the way we treat God's planet and God's creatures, about the way we respond to addiction and mental health, about the way we adapt technology or not, about the kind of media we consume on the internet, and so on and so forth. Indeed, all the things that we'll discuss in this gospel and culture series are informed by the biblical worldview, and again, that's why we're talking about it now. In addition to understanding, hopefully, our own Christian biblical worldview, I also said we need to understand the worldviews of the culture around us. Again, why? There's a lot of isms out there. Do we really need to spend time thinking about them? The answer is yes. And the reason is, we need to be able to engage and talk with and pray for the people who hold those views. In fact, the biblical worldview actually demands that we become people who are carrying out Christ's mission. That's Act 5. And we cannot be missional to people with whom we don't engage and don't talk with and don't pray for. So, absolutism and relativism and atheism and agnosticism and utilitarianism and all these isms, on some level we need to grapple with them because behind those isms are people. These aren't just ideas. They are people who hold these ideas. And so worldviews matter because there are people who hold the worldviews. Part of loving our neighbor, it means trying to understand where they're coming from. And nowadays, in our society, this polarized world we live on, most quote-unquote discussion, it just happens in contexts where we listen to sound bites that justify what we already believe, and we rarely seek to understand the perspectives of others. On the contrary, I think that one of the things that we should be known by as Christians is that we are willing to engage in dialogue with one another, which we're not terribly good at either, but also with the world. This by no means means that we don't firmly speak up for the truth of Scripture. And it by no means means that we accept all worldviews as true and acceptable. No, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but have your own mind transformed. But we do need to understand the world. What it means to understand the world is that we love God enough and we love God's Word enough and we love the people in God's world enough to talk through and to pray through and engage the people on challenging issues such as this. And so any time that we do a gospel and culture sermon on a given month, we're going to spend time practicing what it looks like to be a truth in love community. And so following this service, uh, for those of you who would like to go deeper, we're going to have a time of Q&A just to learn how to do this in our midst, to be that kind of community. To close, I just want to say this. The global circumstance of COVID-19 is a surreal thing. Have you felt it? This is surreal. Whether it's going to the store or having three quarters of our congregation or maybe a little less than that, not here, there's so many surreal details to this thing. Perhaps you know someone who's ill. Maybe even someone who's died. This is a hard moment. I certainly have never experienced anything like this, and I'm sure that most of you have not either. 
There's so much fear. There's so much anxiety. There's so much confusion in the world. And I mean the whole world. Confusion about whether or not we're going to be sick, about whether or not there's going to be enough food and supplies, especially toilet paper. <laughs> whether or not our lives will ever, ever go back to normal. Will we ever as a church be able to hold hands during the Lord's Prayer again? <laughs> the way in which we view this coronavirus situation is a product of our worldview. Do we believe God exists? Do we believe that God is good? Do we believe that God is sovereign? Do we believe that God cares about all the details of our lives, even toilet paper? Do we believe that Christ conquered death? Do we believe that the future which Christ is preparing for us is far better than anything this world can offer? Do we believe it? Now's a time of testing. Let us be the kinds of people who are steadfast in faith and a beacon of hope to the people around us. And it may be a gospel witness to your neighbor, to your mom, to your Amazon delivery driver, to your coworker, to your kid's teacher, to the world. Let it be true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would transform our minds. Help us to think rightly and to feel rightly and to do rightly in accordance with your word, for our very existence depends upon it. And Father, as we take part in your mission in creation, help us, Lord, to be people of love and understanding to those around us. May we learn the best way to love our neighbor and learn the best way to love our mom and whoever else we encounter. May we not be complacent for there's a mission. People are at stake. Gracious Father, give us your spirit's courage and confidence and may we be people of a biblical worldview. Amen.